friends and family a special good morning a very special shout out to anyone who's listening to this episode because i'm like two and a half weeks late from posting and y'all life has been whooping my ass but i have an end goal with this podcast and i really do enjoy talking about it so the show must go on with that being said you guys i have a very very interesting case for you guys today and i'm gonna do this one a little different i'm gonna just raise the suspense this is today's case our killer is one killer this time it is mel and he essentially was originally supposed to sentence supposed to be sentenced five to six years for four counts of murder you guys you heard me right. He was originally sentenced five to six years for four counts of murder. He ended up getting 29 years because he added hell of more time to his sentence after he was already incarcerated. He killed four, assaulted six plus. He has four plus victimless crimes, one attempt murder. His criminal charges, um, petty theft, criminal attempt, extortion, three assaults, um, he even tried to escape. You guys, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I am talking about Craig Chandler Price. He is also known as the Rorick Slasher. And not only, you know, that about Mr. Craig Chandler Price, he is labeled as one of our first, young, one of the first black youngest serial killers. Craig Price had his first body at the age of 13. His second body is at the age of 15. He was literally arrested a couple days before his 16th birthday. Let's get into it, you guys. (laughs) So, Craig was born October 11th, 1973 in Warwick, Rhode Island on 76 Inez Avenue. Remember, I've said that for a reason. You're probably like, damn, you got this man whole address. I do because it's, it's important. He lived on 76 Inez Avenue, okay? Craig has two siblings. His father, John, was a manager at Kmart. His mom, Shirley, was. Uh, she also worked at Kmart as like a cashier probably, just as a clerk. So she also did work there. They both worked excruciating long hours. You know, and unfortunately, the bills got to be paid. And they just had to leave the kids home alone by themselves a lot. And that's what, you know, that's what, you know, eventually gave Craig the lead way to tap into his craziness. Not only that, um, the prices, they live in a neighborhood that was populated with less than 1% black. So they dealt with a lot of racism. Like, this, this, it was the, it was the early 70s. So just imagine that this is a black, this is a black family that's not supposed to be middle class. It's not, you know, it's not ideal for us to level up to this level. And they just had to deal with that a lot. So that, that, they do document that a lot in his childhood. He did deal with that a lot. But other than that, you know, his family were, you know, just because I'm black, that's not going to stop me. They were middle class. They were the ideal good family. He had a good childhood. He was a friendly kid. He was kind. He was smart. 
everyone loved Craig. Teachers loved Craig. Neighbors would say that Craig was the type of kid. He'll see you struggling and he'll come, he'll go out his way to help you with the groceries to the house. He'll come mow your lawn. He'll come take the trash out. Craig just had great reviews all over. He also played football and basketball. Um, he joined the police youth team. Like he was just all um yeah craig was an all around good kid no one had a problem with craig everyone wanted to be craig friend everyone wanted to be around craig he was just considered a good ball of energy he was just good people to be around x y and z um unfortunately at a very young age at that at the age of nine craig started having very dark disturbing thoughts about death and murder not sure if he's seen a movie if he's seen like a little film don't know but it just got real bad at the age of 10 craig started drinking smoking weed and lsd lsd distorts one's perception of reality by inducing hallucinations um it's also known as acid it's just it's, it's nothing you should smoke especially at the age of 10 you're like your mind's not even fully developed already and you're already drinking smoking weed and smoking shit's gonna have you hallucination have you hallucinating by the age of 13, Craig had a record. Um, he was just this very unrecognizable person. He had a record from being from robbing houses, being a peepee Tom, assaulting people. Um, Craig was just doing a damn thing. At 13, you couldn't, won't stop, won't stop, can't stop, not gonna stop doing it. Craig, you just couldn't tell him anything. Um, do you? I don't know if you guys ever watched the movie The Blind Side. And you remember the dude, Michael Orr, the football player who got adopted by the white lady? That was Craig, size-wise. Craig was big as the fuck. He was bigger than everybody. All the people his age group, he was just, he was, he, I'm a, well, if you follow me on TikTok, you'll see the pictures. But Craig was just a big boy. Like, yeah, you, yeah, Craig was just big. Um... Yeah, like I was saying, at age 13, he had a record. He was peeping. He was been a peeping Tom. He was robbing houses. He had he had time to do this because, like I mentioned earlier, his parents worked so much. So, you know, home alone, no guidance. What more, you know? I, don't, I could do what I want to do. Um, his mom was the enforcer. So his mom was the person that disciplined him. And let's just be honest, um um sons we they just had that as i have a son so i know they just had that special place in mama heart you know we we try to we we try to stand on business but eventually we just oh i feel like that we're not just sons i feel like with moms in general we don't really not not for too long we don't stay stern for too long i i leave it to my kids i leave it to their dad when i really want them to shut shit down i'm, I'm gonna send your daddy to you because they just kids when it comes to the parents is i'm gonna listen because you're my mom but i'm gonna really try you because i know i can get away with something dealing with mama and i'm assuming that's just what it was because it was noted that dad that um john craig's dad didn't say shit apparently if your son is out here robbing and assaulting people and peeping time and you're not enforcing nothing you know i don't want to talk bad on them it's not even about them it's all about craig and um yeah, you guys, July 27, 1987 is the day that um Craig was on some, let's take this robbing and stealing and being a peeping Tom to a whole nother level. Well, okay, I'm not even going to say that. So one day, um, Craig was outside playing 
with his friends in the streets. You know how it would just be just playing curveball or just you not know, kids are just kids are just being kids. He was out there playing in the street. Um, he was 13 at the time, and he had a neighbor who was a Caucasian, and probably just got off work or something. I'm not sure, but the kids were in the street, and the the white guy came and honked the horn, get the fuck out the street, niggers, just racial slurs, and that and that stuck with Craig. Because, you know, he already had to deal with racial slurs his whole life. But this particular incident, for some reason, it stuck with him. And it just it just infuriated him. It made him really, really upset. And he said, he he actually said that he was so upset that he didn't offend himself. He was upset that, you know, the man was being racist at him, obviously. But he was also more upset at himself for not defending himself, for not saying anything. So, you know... It's a pride thing, it's an ego thing, especially as being a young boy. He just that that's what stuck with him, he stuck into that feeling. And he actually took it upon himself to actually say, Fuck it, he gonna get his lip back. And he decided to watch this man for days. And days on, days went on, days on, just trying to check his schedule to see what he see what he about, you know. And he decided that, you know, one day he was gonna um get high, wait till everyone wait till all his, his all of his people and his family go to sleep get high sneak out and he was gonna go teach that man a lesson whether it was gonna rob him kill him whatever it was gonna be Craig put in his mind he was gonna get his lick back so that's what he you know he tended to do um when he first went out there the car was not there so he went back home and then he was like fuck it I'm gonna come back then when the second time he came back, he said he's going to break into the house, whether the car was there or not. He came, he's on the mission and he's going to handle it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what happened with that. Um, so the second time he went there was, this was the day of July 27th, 1987. He went back to the house and he seen someone laying on the floor wrapped in the blanket with the television on. Before I go into that, I want to mention these other small details. So, okay, like I said before, July 27, 1987, Cray broke into 27-year-old Rebecca Spencer's house. She lived on 60 Inez Avenue. Remind you, Craig lived on 76 Inez Avenue. She's living on 60. I just want, I'm saying that so you guys could get a good picture on how close they were. Rebecca lived with her brother, and her two kids, her eight-year-old son and her four-year-old daughter. Her Rebecca brother is, yes, if you put it together, is the white man who said the racial slur to Craig and his friend. His name is Carl. Okay. Rebecca Lease was up in July 1987. For some reason, you know, shit be happening. She made it, it, it went past um, her move out date. So she had called her ex-husband to ask her come help with the kids while she packed the boxes. So July 27, early morning, her ex-husband picked the kids up. Then Rebecca, female friend, came over to help her pack the boxes. And they did that until 6 p.m. Rebecca cooked and her brother left for work at 8.30 p.m. Rebecca's friend boyfriend then came over to help pack boxes and they left for ice cream. They returned back at Rebecca's place at 11. Then they left at midnight. Rebecca went to change into her PJs to watch TV until she fell asleep. And now we're going to go back to when Craig went to the house a second time and he seen Rebecca laying on the floor um, sleep with the TV on. 
he went to the back of the house, broke into the to the back. She was asleep, so she didn't hear anything. And he went through the he went through the um the walk past the kitchen, and he um was originally going to grab a frying pan. Then for some reason he I guess he changed his mind about that, and he went back to the kitchen. He took a ten inch kitchen knife. He went back to the living room. He saw Rebecca sleeping curled up on the living room floor. He watched her for seven minutes before he just got this this urge and he stabbed her 58 times he punctured her heart you guys i did end up changing locations currently at the park with the kids a lot of wind blowing so please please bear with me jumping back into it like i was saying he craig stabbed her 58 times he punctured her heart her liver her lung face and head after the situation he just stood over her calmly and he just left off the back door snuck over her back fence into the neighbor's yard before going home he for him to be 13 for this to be so crucial for this to be his first murder he it was reported that he was just calm even when he was telling the story he was just yeah i did it next morning rebecca brother carl remember carl found her in a pool of blood he attempted cpr even though it was clear as day she was already deceased um you know carl police the authorities came tried to figure out the crime scene tried to put two and two together but they had absolutely no clues and unfortunately the cold went the case went cold for two years years later down the line craig you know he he i guess he i would i would like to say that first murder was enough to give him the creeps and not do it again but essentially all he did was just take a, a killing break he was still out here robbing people he was still robbing houses he was still being a peeping tom he was still assaulting people stalking people he was still doing whatever he wanted to do at the age of 13 kurt um craig you know got drunk and high again when you know he just he just loves he just loved getting high at the age of 15 september 9th 1989 craig got high from weed and lsd again that's just that's just his thing to do at this point. Um, go to the playground. It's fine. He got drunk. He got high. And he just had an urge to kill. He just, just had an urge to kill. So he just, you know, go roam around the neighborhood. And he found himself breaking into Joanne Heaton's home. Now, a little backstory about Miss Joanne Heaton. Joanne Heating was 39 when she passed. She married Sergeant John Heating when they were young. They had their first daughter, Jennifer, in 1979. Two years later, they had their second daughter, Melissa. They were, you know, the typical ideal loving family. Everything was peaches and cream until, unfortunately, June 19th, 1983, John commits suicide. It's not documented why but he decided to end his life may he rest in peace and then um right after that years later more grief shook the family so they decided to move out from where they originally from 
um yeah they decided to move new place new town new city you know just just get away from everything dad's gone life is hitting us hard just, just pack it up um joanne will frequently call her sister mary lou and her mother marie after moving like it just it wasn't a day that they did not go by without talking especially with the distance joanne made sure she kept in touch with her mother and her sister september 4th comes and they grew suspicion after not hearing from you know hearing from joanne or the girls in several days like what's going on this is on this is very very unusual now let's rewind to september 1st 1989 when craig broke into joanne's house he broke in he uh, came through the back door as he goes through the back door he's passing news he his routine he's passing the kitchen and he finds a set of knives that joanne just purchased brand new knives not even used to cut a piece of paper just just well, knives don't cut paper kitra but <laughs> y'all get my point brand new knives um he's you know in the midst of him going to the kitchen looking for a weapon he made a noise that's that woke joanne and um you know she came downstairs trying to see everything copacetic she sees craig remind you now craig is built like um the dude from the blonde side craig is a big ass boy if he was big at 13 what is it given at 15 he's huge and this is a little fragile old white woman anyways it doesn't matter white black purple green someone's in your house you're gonna scream so that's what happened he made a noise she came downstairs to see what was going on she peeped him she screamed and was like what the fuck going on x y and z um um craig took his body weight and just launched at her because you know he's bigger than her anyways he launched at her strangling her until she fell slumped on the floor craig perceived um craig presumed to stab her 57 times as you can imagine she was alive so this time she's alive she's screaming she's kicking she's making noise that woke up her two daughters that was 10-year-old Jennifer and 8-year-old Melissa. They come downstairs and they actually meet Craig at the bottom of the stairs. Jennifer sees Craig first um, at the bottom of the stairs. So um, Craig ran to her and launched, you know, launched at her, stabbed her 62 times. As Melissa... Okay, I'm sorry. I got the wrong confused. Melissa is the one that's 10. She's the oldest. As Melissa is no yeah okay i'm sorry guys as melissa is being stabbed she's literally screaming out to jennifer to please call 911 and help you know i don't know exactly how fast he was stabbing but if he's stabbing her 62 times and she's screaming out to her sister to go call for help he was able to finish stabbing her 62 times as Melissa runs, as Jennifer runs to the um to the phone, he stops stabbing Melissa, runs to Jennifer and stab her thirty seven times. Throws her body against on the floor because Jennifer she's the she's the baby she's eight she's the smallest one. It's not really much to toss her around. Do not mean that in a disrespectful way at all. But you know the facts are the facts. He tossed her around and then he proceeded to take a bar stool and crush this baby's skull. You stab this baby 37 times 
and you took a bar stool after she was already on this floor lifeless not fighting you back and you took a fucking bar stool and you crushed her skull not only that the tip of the knife that craig that craig used to stab melissa the blade he was stabbing so much force the blade actually broke off in her neck no that's a rock don't eat that Craig covered two of the bodies and he calmly walked out of the back jumping over the fences to get to his home. Um, like I said, Joanne was known after her moving with the girl. She was known for calling and keeping in contact with her mother, Marie, and her sister, Mary Lou. Days went by. It's now September 4th. They have not heard from them. So they decided to just, you know, just pop up. You know, how you don't answer the phone. Just pop up. They, you know, goes to Joanne's house. They see her car still in the driveway. They're knocking on the door. No answer. They go to the back. They see the door. The back door is unlocked. Um, I don't know if, they, if the door was, like, open or they just turned the knob and they found out it was unlocked. But the door was unlocked and they got into it. They got into the house. Soon as they got into the house, the smell of blood just, just, just slapped them back in their face. They're roaming around the home. They see the bodies first. They see um, little Melissa, the younger one. She's laid out on the kitchen, the um, the kitchen floor. And they immediately, you know, turn around and call police and, you know, get for help. Police arrive, taping the crime scene, you know, putting things where it's supposed to be. Um, you know, they start doing they, they start to do their investigation and they actually assume that she may have knew the person due to her being new to the neighborhood and due to it being it the it seemed like a crime of passion because it was an overkill. So they just, you know, they assume she knew the person and then for some reason, some some reason they started putting both of the murders together. They started putting Rebecca's murder, comparing it to Joanne, her daughter's murders. Because both women were single. Both had dozens of uh, tons of stab wounds. The stab patterns were similar, meaning that a kitchen utensil was used, like, you know, the ridges of the knives. That was very similar. So they were able to, they were able to determine that both all victims were stabbed with a kitchen knife. So that was interesting to point out. And obviously the weapon came from the kitchen indicating that the killer did not come with weapons the killers used the victim's own personal items to kill them and the biggest tip is it's in the same neighborhood literally houses down from each other as um, authorities are you know investigating they don't see no weapons they don't find no motives they just at a loss so there, were a guy, there was a man named Dr. Henry Lee. He was part of the investigation. And he actually noticed it was a blood-sized footprint. And the size of the footprint was a size 13. Which was very interesting because there's no men that lives in the Heaton's house. And there's no one that wears a size 13. Where did this come from so immediately they knew that you know that was that was a clue for finding the killer um fbi agent greg mccurry was able to determine there was a highly frantic nature to the attacks meaning whoever did this crime was they were excessive they were angry they were mad they were just rage full of rage he also felt like the man that they were um 
The man would have a hand injury with the same blade that broke off in Melissa's neck. So they were saying due to the crime scene and how brutal it was, there is no way the person did not harm themselves. And then they did harm themselves. It's going to be on their hand. So, you know, that narrows down the search because right now all they have is a size 13 blood footprint and possibly an injured hand. So, you know, one day cops are just patrolling. They just randomly patrolling. They have no, they have no suspects, remind you. So they're just patrolling one day and they stopped and they, you know, they seen Craig just roaming the streets. They stopped him on a friendly conversation and they just bring to his attention to ask Craig if he heard about their murders, if he knew anything could possibly give them any leads. Craig with confidence and he calmly tells the, um, the officer, no, you know, last night I robbed a car or, you know, the case maybe, or he, no, he said, he said, he said that night of it happening, he robbed, he broke into someone's car because, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be right now. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> As the officers stop um Craig they were familiar with Craig because they knew Craig as a regular participant in the local police sponsored youth events they quickly noticed Craig bandaged hand and asked him about it he told him he heard it by breaking into the car police decided you know you know as Craig is giving the story at first it's like okay I'm asking about a murder you're telling me you did you, you didn't do it but you're openly admitting to me that you did a whole different crime because breaking into someone's car is a crime you do know that right and then yeah so that kind of stuck with the officers so you know they let him go they didn't press shit they were just like oh, okay cool 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 question his hand said it's from the car let him go on his way he wasn't arrested he was a suspect then it just it, it just it just you know it kept on eating at them this man just told me he broke into a car like granted you're not the you're not the murderer that's great news but you're a thief and you're a burglar so they go do go back to the station and they actually go look to see if anyone reported a stolen car or a broken car or just report if any glass has been broken on the streets or anything and they found no evidence of that story happening at all they felt lied to because they just they just basically put two and two together that Craig lied now they're curious to know why did Craig lie. Um, they didn't want to bring it to the superiors because they, you know, they figured Craig would have been 13 if he's the one who killed Rebecca. And there's just there's just no way a 13 year old guy is out here killing people, or is it? Hmm. Sometimes it makes you think. It made they ass think because they thought about it and they thought about it so hard and so long to the point they actually decided to just look up Craig's criminal record and boy that boy had a rap sheet and they just seen too many red flags too many too many criminal they felt his criminal history was just too similar to the crimes they just it just wasn't it wasn't giving <coughs> so that really had them questioning they self could a 13-year-old boy really do this gruesome crime? And it's one thing if a 13-year-old killed one woman, caught her lacking, she was asleep, cool. But then uh, then you that same 13-year-old boy, obviously, he got to grow up, turns 15, and he kills three more people? Something's not right. And not only that, you guys, I hate to be that person, but the victims were white. 
So you know they're gonna they're they're gonna go above and beyond to make sure they put his black ass behind bars. I feel how I feel. Don't care for y'all opinions, whatever. So, um, yeah, they search came to an end when um, one of Craig's friends called the police station to tell them Craig was bragging about killing Rebecca and getting away with it. And that's all they needed to, that's all they needed. Cause they already, at that point, they weren't, they, they did think it was a coincidence about Craig, but having his friends telling them, telling them that it, that he was bragging about Rebecca, it was just enough for them to go ahead and get a warrant. And um, yeah, go ahead and see what that's about. So in early morning hours of September 17th, 1989, Roderick police um, raided and searched Craig's home. Craig rode over and went back to sleep. He, I guess he felt like, you know, since it was a search warrant for the home, that they wasn't going to find where he really put the stuff at. So he was just like, yo, y'all, y'all, it's, it's early in the morning. I don't have time for this. Um, yeah, he just rolled over, put the covers over his face and went to sleep. When they thought they had no luck, they spotted a shed in the back of his you know the back of his house um they went to the shed looking for evidence they found a plastic bag that was tucked behind some other object opening the bag they found blood-soaked items that included knives clothing gloves and other random things they found a um also searching they also found a blood-soaked sock that matched the footprints from the crime scene at the heat team's house okay baby good Okay, so then they proceeded to, you know, arrest Craig because, nigga, we got you. What you gonna say? And Craig was still calm. Craig, if you ask Craig, outside looking in, Craig treated like treated like he was taking a ride to the fair or he was taking a ride to Sunday service, and he just didn't he just didn't show no signs. And they asked his mom, eat your cheese. They asked his mom if she would like to accompany Craig on the way to the station. And, you know, as Mama Duck do, Kalani, give me a minute. I'm talking. They asked Craig's mother, would she like to accompany Craig on the way to the station? And she agrees. And, you know, she's crying. And, you know, it must suck as a parent. It, it, it has to be. That has to be one of the, the, the ickiest feelings ever to feel like you're you're doing everything you can as a parent you're working long hours you're sacrificing time away from your child to give them realistically a better life that you never had or just a better life for them and they out here embarrassing you they out here not giving a fuck about none of that shit they out here killing people out here robbing and stealing and just making it's making it seem like you're not there at all i probably got too personal but she did <laughs> she did join okay she did join and like I said, Craig was just emotionally detached. If you had asked Craig, Craig would have told you he was going to go hang out with the gang. And he was just, he just, respectfully, he did not give a fuck. So now they have Craig in the interrogation room. And during the interrogation, police asked, why do you have so much anger? What did you possibly go through to be you know, so angry for you to be so young. Why are you so angry? Craig blamed racism. He just said that his anger led to rage. Like, remind you, he stayed in 
a population where there was less than 1% black people. He literally had to, every time he stepped out of his home, he has to hear nigger this, nigger that. Just anything racial slur. Then he has to come home, not essentially maybe not have his parents like he would like to have them due to their work schedules and just figure it the fuck out from there. I'm not excusing him, but um, at the end of the day, I am a black woman. And when it comes down to race and it comes down to us killing because of race, I feel it. I'm never saying it's okay, but I feel it. And this baby was 13 when he felt it. Maybe y'all should stop being fucking racist. Anyways, Craig blamed racism. He said his anger led to rage. And, um, you know, Craig told Detective one day, basically he told him what led up to the situation. And he told them how... He told him the inter, in, um, he told him the altercation he had with Rebecca's brother Carl, and how that one day he was playing outside in the middle of the road in the streets with his friends, and Carl came and said what he said to them, and it just left it hurt his feelings. It hurt him, hurt him deep, cut him deep, and you know he wanted to get his revenge back. How he followed, um, he watched Carl's car. He was watching when um he go and leave. And then he finally made the decision to go get his lit back. Remind you, Carl left the house at 930 because Carl works overnight. So Carl was gone and he just ended up killing Rebecca. Um, don't He never really say why he killed the Heatings because essentially they weren't racist. They were just white. And you stopped killing after that first racial incident. You blame you, blame you killing these women because of race but Rebecca's not the woman who said the racial slur to you Craig is I mean Carl is and then what the fuck did Joanne Melissa and Jennifer do to you don't know you guys or at least I didn't figure that part out as I'm recording this I will I will most definitely try to search his answer on why he killed the second family but anyways um that's basically what he tells them in interrogation room that he wanted to rob he wanted to um get his lip back because carl said what he said and you know detectives they go back and ask carl and of course carl's you know the pussy that he is if he if he did say it these are all allegations if carl did call them kids racial slurs you're a pussy for not admitting it and essentially you're the reason why your sister's dead oh that was hurtful i take that back that was kind of cold but the the reality of it is carl and i'm saying this is coming from a place if you did say it because you told the police you did not say it okay and then i'm only coming at you if you did say it i want to make that clear because if you did say it it's fucked up it's not nice it hurts people's feelings and unfortunately this is what happens behind saying racial things and i'm not even making about just white and black i'm this is now I'm speaking on general general it's not it's not it's not those days no more where we cannot defend ourselves unfortunately you know unfortunately unfortunately depends who you ask and depends who you're talking to when we defend ourselves we will you know there's just actions and consequences but it's, it's just a new time and nobody is going to sit down and tuck their tail and hold their head down after being called a fucking nigger it's just, it's just not going to happen. 
y'all need to accept that get over it and that's that so now <laughs> thanks for coming to my ted talk <laughs> bring me back in um yeah so in 1989 craig was just arrested he was found guilty and he was arrested for the four murder charges um, in 1989, Craig was arrested. It was against the law of the American criminal justice system to prison a juvenile past their 21st birthday. Which means, since Craig was only 15 when he got arrested, he um, basically will not, by law at that time, he was not um, allowed to serve time past his 21st birthday only because he was a minor because if he was over the age of 21 that would have been a mandatory mandatory for life count census but because he's a um he's a minor and also the states are different for Rhode Island for the, um for this particular state this is their rules so with that being the rule they cannot prison a minor no matter what the crime is exceptionally past their 21st birthday and i guess i want to say maybe it's like a reform thing and they feel like because it's a child they don't they don't know better so a child should not be punished for something they did when they were a kid they should have time to reform when they, reform when they're adult and that's basically how craig got hey he got free he got he got he got a sweet deal you kill someone at the age of 13 got away with got away with it for two years you kill three more people two years later you call and you're only serving five to six years not including your other criminal high including your other criminal records that include you um stealing uh robbing and stalking and peeping tom they didn't add those charges or give you anything extra this is just for killing people you got five to six years that's that's insane to me i just i don't i don't get it and um that made craig start bragging because he really feeling untouchable now like what you i could just kill people because i'm this age you're welcome baby i could kill people and essentially get away with it so he was bragging about it and that set the citizens of Rhode Island the fuck off it would set me off too because you just killed my sister and you're bragging because you it would set anybody off so with that being said um that deal did not last long oh yeah another part about that deal though Craig would have served five to six years in his criminal record would have been sealed September 21st, 1989, he pleaded guilty and, you know, transferred to another facility. Um, part of his very great, not so great, but great for him sentence, he was um, supposed to mandatory, mandatorily go, undergo um, a, psych, a psych evaluation. So basically, you know, get inside his head to see what the hell is driving him crazy that was mandatory for him to um to stay with the five or six years um craig said he ain't doing it <laughs> craig said he is not doing that at all i they just said he wasn't doing it and that added more charges 
to his sentence and that happened in 1994 um in 1990 the citizens of Rhode island will start seeing changes in the juvenile system jeffrey pine who was assistant attorney general and warwick police detective kevin collins helped pass the o'neill bill and the O'Neill Bill, for those who don't know, it is the bill that hardens the sentencing's guidelines for juvenile offenders. But that is basically the O'Neill Bill. Basically, it says just because this child is a child, they did this crime and they are responsible for doing the crime. You are no longer, if you kill someone at the age of 13, you are going to serve that life sentence. That's basically what the bill was for. And they tried to use that to um, make make Craig stay incarcerated past his 21st birthday. But that did not keep him. Because the O'Neill bill came out later, I guess. I don't know. That just did not keep him. So um, he was still serving. still. So now it's 1994 and he was still only supposed to serve his five to six years or whatever the case may be. Um, one day in court, um, Craig just lashes out and he threatened to kill a, correct a correctional officer. Now listen to this. You're on trial or you're on whatever, whatever they call, whatever the proper word is for these, for this, for this court stuff. You're on trial, I'll leave what it's called, for four counts of murder. What in your right mind thinks is okay for you to lash out, to threaten to kill a correctional officer in the courthouse where they're telling you you're already found guilty for, for killing four other people so with that being said since he made that threat they slapped him with 15 more years on his sentence so that five to six years it, it, it went up to 20 something years but eight of those years will be counted for as suspension as suspended i don't know what that means i don't know is it suspended as in it takes away time or suspended as during those eight years you don't get like good behavior or you don't get a good chance to get out i don't i don't know i've never been in jail y'all so i'll be learning the more i go through these cases so since he lashed out and threatened to kill the correction officer they added 15 years to his time 1993 he had caught an escape charge what added one year 1993 also he assaulted two prisoners adding two years for one and one year for the other 1996 Craig bit the finger off of an officer which added a year 1990s he didn't bite the finger off but he did bite the officer that added more time to his original five to six years um 1997 he refused evaluation again which added another 25 years and with 15 of those years being suspended 1991 and 2001 craig verbally and physically attacked another officer adding four more years oh i'm not done y'all 2009 he had a weapon charge resisting arrest battery by detain in battery charge which added two years and six months 23 Mommy. days to Hi. each charge Hi. 2017 craig attacked his cellmate joshua davis with a shank and received additional 25 more years for attempt murder
Craig had the opportunity to be paroled February 2022. Craig ain't getting out <laughs> until December 8th, 2043. He is currently in Florida State Prison. It says when I looked up his um his state and ID little number, it says he's he served 29 years. I don't know if it's if it means he's serving a total of 29 years or he's already served 20. I think it's he has to serve 29 years. Basically, okay, so this went from him having to serve a five to six year sentence when he was at the age of 15 to it escalated to him serving 29 years and he's not getting out till 2043 when he is he's 45 now so he just old as hell okay when he's old as hell too damn old he is really crazy because he could have been paroled february 2022 that's just that's insane but you guys that is our case of craig chandler price now um i did not do this normally this at the beginning but um take this time for a moment of silence to you know just pay respect to our victims let's pay respect to eight-year-old melissa healing 10 year old Jennifer Heating, 39 year old Jonan, I said Jonan, Joanne Heating. And also, although he's not a part of the story, let's take um, a time to honor Sergeant John Heating, who unfortunately took his life too soon. Thank you for fighting for this country. Um, let's take a moment of silence for Rebecca Spencer, who leaves behind her two kids, and she was only 27 at the time. Mommy, let's go this. Okay, you guys, here's a segment that we all love, and this is a segment where we like to take upon ourselves to put ourselves in the murderer's shoes and just say what the hell would we do different right so what i would have done differently since mr craig is saying this is a racial thing i would have simply just waited for carl honestly i i would have if, if his motive was because he had a hard not life and people were just being racist i would attack the people that was being racist to me i would have started with carl I mean, if, if you're saying that's where it's, you were stuck on the feeling he made you feel when he hurt your feelings, why you ain't just wait for him? Like, I would have, you said, you, you, ain't, you ain't stalk him hard enough. Because how you say you was watching his house for days, checking his schedule, but he's known for working overnight. Which means if you was watching him, you would have known he leaves at night. That's why he was not there that night when you want to go check for him. You ain't stalk that man long enough. You ain't do a good enough job. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to train y'all to be stalkers. I'm not trying to train y'all to be crazy. But there's a way to do it, and you can't. You can't half-ass do something, especially on no crime. Like, come on now. You either gonna do it or you don't. 
But yeah, I would have really literally stalked that man. I would have known, I would have stalked that man so hard. I would have known that every night he's gone because he probably works. Duh. And I would have killed his ass in the morning time or caught him like in the morning time. I, I would have just focused on him. Me and my friends would have jumped up, or even even if we didn't kill him, because I'm not a killer, y'all. I'd be saying what I would do. I was a murderer. I, honestly, I would not do none of this shit. I'm not a killer. I don't have it in my heart. But if Craig is saying he 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 hung up to that anger, me and my homegirls, we would have jumped Carl. I'm not gonna lie. We would have we would have made them niggas. We would have made them crackers. They're not white. <laughs> we would have made them leave the fucking neighborhood. I would have slashed his tires. I would have egged his house. I would have threw. To- I would have just made him miserable because I'm a kid. And in days, not much I really can do. I'm not gonna kill nobody. But that's what I would have did different. I would just. I would just been a, a fucking kid, a badass kid. My mama ain't never home. My daddy, he ain't gonna be my ass because he ain't, he ain't got no backbones. Craig's siblings are never mentioned, so I don't know what they were doing. But he was in a gang and he was hanging out with badass kids, anyways. So I would have got my gang and I would have pressured about my issue. Simple as that. But I also have to understand that was 1970s. I'm in 2000s, so maybe that's just maybe. I don't know, but I most definitely would not have killed Joanne and her daughters. I didn't see no relevancy for that other than, hey, I was high and I was hallucinating and I killed them people, I guess. I don't know. I have no, I have nothing for that. I just simply, I just wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, I have a potty mouth myself, so it ain't nothing to say something racial back to somebody else. But, you know, everyone's built different, so that's fine. That's that's cool, I guess. Whatever. But, you guys, if you made it this far, I love you. I appreciate you. Um, I forgot my own slogan. I haven't said it all episode. It really sucks not having my co-host. But they do the crime. Wait, yeah. Wait, is that what they... Hold on. Yeah, okay. They do the crime. We sip the wine and talk about the murders. All right, you guys, let me know what you think.